All right, good morning. Uh, this morning as we are teaching, um, let's see, about, I don't know how long ago it's been, uh, months and months and months ago, uh, Cole shared something with me, and, and it was so meaningful to me, and it was meaningful to him. I shared it with a few people as well. As we were preparing for this series called The Great Romance, um, it just settled on my heart that we needed to teach this and present this this morning as we begin this series. And so that's what I'm doing here. Cole's doing that in Stuttgart today. And so we're presenting something to you as accurately as possible that was so very meaningful to us. Um, I love a good romantic comedy. Um, my life has been big-time comedy. <laughs> I've had a lot of things in my life that have been comic, not a lot of things that have been romantic. But as um, I, to give you a little information about myself, as I met Vanessa, um, she's in with the kids today, so I can talk freely. As I met Vanessa, our, our romantic comedy began um, kind of like the 1800s. Um, we were writing and writing and writing. In fact, um, I have a copy of every single letter that we sent to each other during that time, and it's in this book. Um, I created this, and I made it, and all of our correspondence is in here. So it was kind of like the 1880s, maybe. <laughs> I grew up in the 1980s. But as we met and our lives began to come together, it's all recorded here. And so about at least once a year, I pull this out and I read through all of those letters and all of that correspondence, and I just love it. So, you know, I, I'm kind of an old soul that way. Um, but here's the thing. Great relationships... They happen on purpose. They don't happen by accident. And boy, do I know. I know this for a reality. Um, they happen on purpose. And great relationships require nourishment. Um, I'm so excited about this series because that's a lot about what we're going to be talking about. But without that, even a good relationship is going to eventually. It's going to kind of end in some kind of starvation or some kind of death without that nourishment. There's nothing groundbreaking about that. We all understand that. We all know that. But that does mean that any relationship that you have in your life, that you want that relationship to thrive and you want it to go places, you want it to survive over the long haul, well, that relationship has to be nurtured. It has to be cared for. It has to have someone in that relationship paying attention to that relationship. And with all of that, we may begin thinking that, wow, love is hard work. There's a lot to do there. It might not seem like that at first. I mean, if someone's in a honeymoon stage or a new relationship, things in those early days, it, it seems so easy and so effortless. All of this was so, so very easy, so very effortless. But when that phase ends, as it always does, if you want something to go the long haul, 
it's going to require work. Because without that kind of work, um, love always, always falls apart. And it falls apart because of this big word, neglect. It falls apart because of distraction. Because anytime we find neglect before that has been some kind of big distraction. And we know this. Students may not know this yet, but we know this as adults. We know this. We have lived through this. And, and those words, even for some of us, describe our stories. We know that relationships have to be cared for. And I'm probably going to have to cough several times. I will try my best to mute the mic that I don't cough in your ear. Um, so we have to pay attention to that. We know that love is hard work. We know this. And it might not seem like it at first, but it is. It is hard work. In the early days, super easy. And as we move on, it gets more difficult. We have lived through this. We know this. We understand this. And what's true with our relationships here on earth, we also know this is absolutely true in the Christian life as well. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And that's what this series is about. But I want you to think with me for a moment. Here in the United States, man, what a wonderful country we have. It is the land, truly, the land of opportunity. And we get to choose what we do with that opportunity. In fact, we often grow up with this feeling that anything is possible here because we have been born here. And if we want to set our minds to something, we can work hard and do our best to make that happen. And so we kind of grow up with this transactional thinking about our lives and being here in the United States for sure. It's a great country with books like this. This is not a new book. This has been around a while. You can tell by that wonderful suit he has on there. But we understand that if, like this guy, if we go out and we work really, really, really hard, in fact, he tells you, if you read this book, he tells you how you can do that. And if you go and work really, really hard, you can make some results happen in your life because we have a lot of freedoms here in the United States, and we have a lot of blessings. And if we show up with nothing, and we put in hard, hard, hard work, then we can see something out of that as a result. And because of that, we have a tendency to think of our lives in the Christian life in a transactional way. That's what our parents taught us even, right? They taught us that in the United States, if we go to class, and we pay a lot of attention and work hard that we can then move on from that and we can grow and become what we want to do. We can do better than what we've done in the past. And that's all the backdrop of what we're talking about today. If we do the right thing and think the right thing, then we believe we can do better. We believe that we can make good choices and we can progress, that we can create a better future for ourselves if we make new choices. And we believe that we can do all of that by ourselves, just like this guy did, self-made in America. He did a lot of things right, and he tells you how to do it. It's a great book. I've read it. 
So you say, okay, Harley, what's, what's the point in all of this? What's the point? We have a tendency to apply that same self-made in America concept to our Christian lives. So we have a tendency to proceed through life with this belief that in order to be a growing Christian, in order to progress and to move forward in this life, then I've got to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. And I've got to make sure that I'm checking off all those boxes of, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. And here's where it goes off the rails. Because many of us, in all of that doing, in all of that learning, and all of that executing of plans, we can easily forget our focus. We can forget what our hearts should be focused upon. And that can lead us then, in that case, to neglecting. It can lead us to leaving that heart focus behind. We can forget the focus of our heart as we instead focus upon our hands, our feet, and our head. Those things that we're thinking about, those things that we're doing, those places we're going. And hey, a lot of times those are all good things. Those are, in fact, many times great things. There's nothing wrong with us checking uh, the right boxes in the Christian life. We know there are things we need to do. We know there are things we should do. For many of us, something can be missing in all of that. For many of us, something is missing. And in the midst of these very good things that we're doing, on these things that we're focusing on, these things we need to do in order to grow, these things we need to do in order to have a vibrant, fulfilling Christian life. God absolutely knows in all of that what is missing. And he goes to his disciple, John. This is the same one who wrote the gospel of John. He goes to John, and by this time, John is a very, very old man. In fact, all the other disciples that were his partners, they have all now died. And John is the only one left. And John is probably at this time, he is probably a prisoner on an island. But but God comes to him. In fact, it's not just the concept of God. Jesus himself comes to John. And he tells John, I'm going to dictate to you some letters. I want you to write them down. So these are not coming from God's spirit to John. These are directly from Jesus. And he's saying, I want you to dictate. I want you to write down. I'm going to dictate to you. I'm going to tell you what to say in these letters. And let's get these letters delivered. Think about that happening today. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if I came up this morning and I said, I've got a letter in the mail this week, and well, actually it came from Jesus, and we're going to take a look at it this morning. I I almost think we can look at this letter in that way, as if Jesus wrote this letter to us. I, I think it can apply to us, even though this letter was written to a different church, and it was a church that when they received this letter, they would have circulated the letter because it went to a 
church in a specific town, and it was probably the case where there were many little churches in that town, but they were all still the church, the same church. And so it would circulate among those. And, and beyond that, they, it was expected that this letter would circulate to the entire region and eventually all over the world. And it's what happened. And I believe what's written in that letter is a big deal. And I believe it's still a big deal today. I believe it could have been mailed to the church in Malvern. It could have been mailed to Stuttgart Harvest Church. Now, Jesus tells John to write this down, word for word. And I want to read this to you. Here's how this letter begins. This is uh, what it says, and it's in Revelation chapter 2. Here's Jesus speaking. He says, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And here's how the letter is to begin. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands, and that is code for, a.k.a., this is Jesus speaking. All right, so this is Jesus. And so right from the very beginning, we are going to read now about Jesus celebrating what's happening in this church. This is exciting. He's cheering them on. Um, and I, I'm sure the people who were hearing this for the first time, they were beginning to get excited. I, I mean, it, they were beginning to be proud of what they were hearing, as I think they should have been. Here's, here's what Jesus says to them. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil. In other words, they're doing a lot of things right. It's amazing. He says, you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. In other words, they know a lot. They know how to do a lot. They were able to figure out the truth from lies, real people following Jesus from those who weren't. He goes on, you also possess endurance and you have tolerated many things because of my name and you have not grown weary. In other words, your lives, Jesus is saying, can you imagine? This is coming from Jesus. He's saying your lives have been difficult because of me and you are enduring. You are making it. You're doing what needs to be done. Can you imagine Jesus telling this church, good job? I mean, Jesus himself saying, you are doing a great job. You are doing so many things right. Way to go. You're believing right. Your doctrine is so sound. You're able to tell the truth from lies. You're doing so good. You've been able to discern good from evil. You're doing so many things right, believing right. That's awesome. Way to go. And in fact, I, I would think as they were hearing this, that they were beginning to maybe get a little puffed up, maybe sit up in their seats a little straighter, paying attention a little more. They were believing right, and they were doing right. And Jesus just said, great job. That's amazing. See, it appears that this church in Ephesus is pretty squeaky clean. 
I think as they're listening to this, I, I believe they are recognizing, okay, all right. Someone is noticing. God is noticing. Jesus himself is noticing. I would sit up a little straighter. I would maybe puff my chest out just a little bit. That is some good news. For me, when I was a youth minister, and now even as a pastor, and as I look around and I would look around at the students I was encouraging and teaching and training, and and as I look around in my life over the years I've been pastoring, I, I look and I see people who are growing and they're maturing, and I see that, and, and I, I could say to myself, wow, they're on the right track. They're believing right, and, and it appears like from everything I can tell that they are doing right. That's not where Jesus leaves this. Jesus continues. He says, yeah, sure, you're doing some good things, really good things, and you're believing some really good things. And then he goes on, but, this is a big, big but. He says, I have this against you. Ah, hold the press. Don't run that headline just yet. Church is doing amazing. Jesus throws the penalty flag. Jesus stops the clock right here. Jesus is saying, I have a problem with your version, your take on Christianity. Wait a minute, Jesus. You just told us that we are believing right and that we are doing right. You literally just said that we are checking all the boxes. Jesus, what else is there to do? If we're, if we're, if we're believing right, and we're doing right, what is there left? Jesus tells them, I have something against you. He says that you have left your first love. The way this passage is written, it implies left that they have walked away from. They've walked away. They have abandoned that first love. Uh, The Ephesians, Jesus is saying, there is something that has your attention. Something has your focus, and that something, Ephesus, that something means that you are distracted. So yeah, listen, guys, church in Ephesus, High five. You are believing a lot of right things. Maybe all right things. High five. You are doing right things. High five. Way to go. You believe right. You do right. You love the process of Christianity. But Ephesus, oh Ephesus, you have substituted the process For the point. Ephesus, you actually think that doing the right thing is the same as experiencing life transformation. In fact, Ephesus, 
you love what you do for me more than you love me. And you didn't lose that love. You left it. And let's think about it for just a moment. That is so true, is it not? I mean, that's so true because we don't really fall out of love. Oh, we've heard it all the time, right? We've heard that. That's not a strange phrase. We hear people say that they fell out of love, but that's not accurate, not really. I mean, let's be honest. That's not really how it happens. We get distracted. That's what happens. And once we're distracted, it leads to neglect. And we just leave love behind. We just leave it behind. We neglect that person and we slowly walk away. We didn't lose it. We left it. We abandoned it. Listen, I'm not even talking about like an affair. I'm just talking about relationships in general. The point is is that we can, we can leave all of that love behind us and move on doing really good things. It's like any movie that we've ever watched, right? And it might be the movie of our own life. We may have lived that as a real-life example. We can leave love behind while doing really hard, good work. We can leave love behind by just going out and working real hard to earn a living. We can leave love behind by going out and providing a nice home to live in. We can leave love behind by doing good things, by believing good things. And it can cause us to slowly walk away from the love of a spouse. And we have to see that as a caution. We can leave love behind by focusing on taking care of our kids, our children. And working really hard to love our children and teach our children and train our children and bring our children up to be wonderful parts of society. We can leave love behind by trying to make sure that our children have every chance that they need to make it in this life. All while slowly moving away from our first love. See, over time, a life of just believing right and doing many things right can slowly have us leaving the love for our spouse behind. It happens all the time. In fact, you may be thinking of your own life right now, or you may be thinking of somebody very close to you right now, and you're You're saying, yes, I know. What you're saying partly is true. That is true in relationships. But now let's go back to Ephesus. Because that's exactly what Jesus is saying to this church. You have left me. You have abandoned your love for me. You have neglected me. 
You're distracted. And you've done it by focusing. You're focusing. You're focusing on the right things and you're focusing on doing the right thing. And Jesus is saying, but the things that you are focused on in this life are not life giving. Jesus is saying, I am the only one that is life giving. It is me. Ephesus, you are giving your heart away. You're putting your heart into what you believe you want to do. And while it is all good stuff, it's not the most important thing, Jesus says. We have in this letter, Jesus saying, I, Jesus, I am the most important thing. You see, he's not a process. He's not a belief. He's not a task. Jesus is a relationship. And in this letter, the phrase first love, it's not really as much of a first, second, third, like an order. It's much more implying the utmost, the utmost love, the one that establishes all other loves. In other words, it's the the chief love, the primary love. And Jesus is telling this church that you have abandoned that chief primary love. You have divorced that chief primary love. You have lost focus of that ultimate love, that ultimate relationship. And Jesus is saying, I'm supposed to be your chief. I'm supposed to be the leading primary focus, the one that comes before all others. But Ephesus, you love the other stuff more than you love me. And Ephesus, you you love doing right. And you love even more, you love doing right more than you love me. And you love believing right. And you love believing right more than you love me. And Jesus is saying, Ephesus. And I believe he could say, Church in Malvern and Stuckhart Harvest Church, you may be distracted. This first love, that word love, it's a Greek word there, and it's used to describe this unconditional love of God. And, and it speaks of a kind of love that we really don't have human language enough to convey. It's a love that will take your breath away. It's a love that drives us into a deeper and deeper relationship towards more and more intimacy. And it's a love that pursues. It's a love that chases. It's a love that leaves everything behind and goes for that one. And this is the love that he has for us. This is the love that pursues us. The love that ran us down when we were in that dark place where we were running from God. 
That's the kind of love he's talking about. Jesus is also saying in the beginning, church in Ephesus, in the beginning of this relationship, that's how you loved me, Jesus is saying. You used to love me like that. You used to love me the way I loved you. You used to in the beginning when things were fresh and new and exciting. That described your love for me. But it has changed because now you don't. Because now you've left. You've walked away from the very thing that delivered you. And listen, Ephesus, it certainly was delivered. I mean, Ephesus, if you look back at the history of Ephesus, they were bad people. And they were doing bad things. And the church in Ephesus began in Acts 19. That's where we see it start. And as it started, God was changing the lives of some really bad people. And then the love of Jesus chased them down. And he began to change them from the inside out. He chased them down in the middle of the horrible sin that they were living in. And it wasn't the right beliefs that chased them down. It was a person. It was Jesus who chased them down. It was God himself. And that was the beginning of the church of Ephesus. That was the context. And Jesus is now saying, consider all of this, where you've been and where you are now. And he's saying, be careful, Ephesus. You can do all the right things and you can believe all the right things, but you can still be empty in your heart. And I bet when they heard this, that they could probably hear a pin drop. And, and everyone in the church at Ephesus was probably like, oh, whoa, man, this started off really good for us as you were reading this letter from Jesus. Man, he was applauding us. Yes, but it's not so good now. To which Jesus may have thought, exactly. It started off great with us. The relationship, it was a great beginning, but now we have an alignment problem, Ephesus. Because you've been distracted with all of this religious Christian culture. You've been distracted by doing right. You've been distracted by what every, making sure that everyone else is doing right but none of that is life-giving. But Jesus isn't done. Because after calling them out, Jesus gives them a way back. And in verse 5, Jesus says, Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus is saying, okay, this is the reality. But guys, 
let's hit the reset button. So in order to do that, I want you to remember how it was. Remember how it was before. And then I want you to repent. And then we're going to redo some things. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's look at that. So the first thing Jesus says, I want you to remember. Now there's a passive part of memory. And that passive part is where we just kind of recall something that has happened. And Jesus is saying, remember how things were before you knew the process of Christianity. Sure you do. And for us, remember what it was before we knew the Christian culture in America. Sure we do. Remember how it was before we knew what to do or how to be a better believer in the way of Jesus? Sure we did. Recall how dark things were in your life, right? You can recall what it was like to be in bondage and to be controlled by sin. I know I can. Remember how there were nights where you would cry yourself to sleep at night? Do you recall your guilt and wondering why things were not better? Why you continued to do the same harmful, destructive things over and over and over again in your life? Why you would dwell on those thoughts which changed the entire direction of your day, then your week, then your month, and maybe your year? And we would do that over and over and over again. Do you remember wondering if things could ever change? Do you remember wondering why you felt so dirty? Why you felt so bad? Do you remember? And then do you remember how you felt when everything began to change? Jesus is saying, remember that. And now there's an active side of memory. This word used for remember is not just that passive side. It's also this active side that says, remember and keep on remembering. So yes, you're to recall that moment, but then Jesus is saying, and then you rehearse that over and over in your mind. Recall it, remember, and keep on remembering. And here's why, because he's saying, I don't want you to ever get over me. I don't want you to ever allow me, Jesus, he would be saying, to be buried in all the good stuff and all the good theology and all the good thinking and all the good doctrine. Don't let me get buried in all of that. I want you to remember how bad things were and don't forget. I'm going to be honest with you. Christianity has nothing to do with who you are going to vote for in 2024. Nothing. Christi your love for Jesus has nothing. Christianity has nothing to do with 
calling people out who aren't like you, who don't believe like you, who don't agree with you, because that's not the point of Christianity. There's a lot of people who believe that. And there's a lot of people who blog about that. Christianity is full of people who are proud of how right they are and how right they've got it and how right they believe. And they are so ready to call everyone else out on how wrong they are. And Jesus is saying to these believers, no, that's not it. Do you remember how bad you were? Do you remember how far you have fallen? Do you remember what your life was like when you were separated from Jesus and there was no hope. That's what you need to remember. Don't forget that. Do you remember how badly you needed to be redeemed and how badly you needed to be rescued? Yeah, hang on to that. Let that be what you remember and keep on remembering. Harley, I don't ever want you, Harley, to forget that you were pursued into the darkest place of your life and you were rescued not by believing right. You were rescued by Jesus himself. Then, after challenging this church to remember. Jesus then changes and he challenges them to repent. Which the easy way to understand that is just simply, he's saying you need to change your mind. You need to turn it around. See, you were headed this direction where you thought you were doing right and believing right. And that was your focus. But he said, as you were doing that, you left me behind. You need to turn it around. You need to repent. You need to go the other direction. He's not saying you need to change what you believe. He's not saying you need to change some things you were doing. He's saying you need to change what you are pursuing as your first love. And he said, you need to pursue me. And I am a relationship. I am not a process. I am a relationship. I am not a set of doctrines or beliefs. I am a relationship. I am not a checklist of this is how you follow Jesus. Change your mind. Change your thinking. Think differently about this relationship. See, the church in Ephesus was seduced into pride with a little hint of legalism. And as a result, everything had slowly become less about Jesus and more about themselves. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to remember who you were. Remember who you were. 
Who were you in the beginning before I, Jesus, came and pursued you and found you? Who were you? And then repent, change. Then he says, do the works you did at first. Repent, go back to who you were. Go back to how you lived then. (laughs) Go back to this person. Go back to this person, the way it was in the beginning. When you realize that Jesus was chasing you down and he pursued you into that very dark place in your own life and he found you, remember how it was. And then remember how it was after meeting Jesus. Ephesians, Jesus is telling them, don't forget that. In fact, he's saying, repent, let's turn, let's change and go back to that. Every day, do as you did when you were responding to Jesus for the first time. Go back to that. Don't get distracted by good things. Don't lose your focus. Instead, focus on what really matters. And that's Jesus. And those were the instructions. That's what he wrote in the letter to the believers at Ephesus about 2,000 years ago. Cultivate your love for Jesus and focus on Jesus. And as we started this morning, we said, yep, that does take effort. It does. And ironically, It takes effort to keep our efforts from becoming our life, our focus. Which is what Americanized Christianity has become. Americanized Christianity has become this broken progression. We've been talking since the first of the year about a progression of following Jesus. And and we'll talk about that more. But here's the broken progression progression of American Christianity. The more we do, the better we feel. The better we feel, the better we believe that we actually are. And the better we believe we are, then the more self-righteous we become. All the while allowing our hearts to slowly move away from the focus of adoration of Jesus. And in all of that, we're actually becoming less like him. As we begin following him from a distance because we've left him behind to pursue believing right and to pursue doing right. It's no wonder that the culture that we live in seems so far from God. And Jesus said, so the solution is, We've got to remember. Remember the real Jesus. Remember who we were before Jesus. 
and then keep on remembering. So this morning, if any of that in any way describes your life, as it has so often described my life, this is why this was so very meaningful to Cole and I. If any of this describes you as well, then I want to ask you to consider taking a next step with us this week of doing exactly what Jesus implored the church in Ephesus to do, to remember. This week, remember what it was like before you met Jesus. And remember how it felt and what you did when you met him. And don't forget that. Then we're going to ask you to do the second thing that Jesus asked. And that's to repent. To change our thinking. To turn away. To say, yes, yeah, I realize, I recognize that, yeah, Harley, what you have described was happening in Ephesus. That describes me. And how we need to repent, we need to return, we need to turn a new direction and rekindle that all-encompassing, intimate love that we felt for Jesus when he rushed into that dark place and found us. When everything was fresh and everything was new. And as we have said from the beginning of this year, You can do that and continue to do that by getting to know him better. And as you begin following him closer, here is the progression, the way it should work. The more we get to know him, not information about him, not in how to, six steps, 10 steps, and how to follow Jesus, 10 things that you must believe. No, no, no. The more you get to know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you want to follow him. And the closer and more you follow him, the more you become like him. And the more you become like him, the more you are becoming like yourself the person he created you to be. That's the progression. And don't do all of that so you can be right. Do it so you can better serve his purpose on this earth. That's why we do it. Let's pray. Jesus, you might cheer on our right beliefs. You might cheer on our right actions. You might tell us, hey, that's a great job. You're doing good. And at the same time, you might look at our lives and you might say, but I have this against you. You have left your first primary love. Jesus, would you help us to hear your words? 
Would you allow them to penetrate deep into our hearts, deep into our lives this week? And Jesus, may we remember what it was like before we surrendered to you. And may we rehearse your love that plunged into the hell that my life was in. And you grabbed me and you brought me safely into your arms. May we remember that. And may we completely change our thinking and may we turn around and may we begin doing what we did at first. Jesus, may we live in love with you. Help us to make it so, Jesus. And we will sing about that right now. Amen.